Amen. God is good all the time. Thank you, Lord. Today our text will be taken from Isaiah 66, so if you have a copy of Scripture, you might want to go there. If not, it should be up top on the screens as normal. Thank you, Lord. If you're there, say amen. amen. Good. Thank you, Jesus. Now I need to get there. <laughs> this is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. Could you build a temple as good as that? Could you build me such a resting place? My hands have made both the heavens and the earth. They and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, this morning that you have spoken. Lord, throughout the ages you have spoken. And today we just acknowledge yet again, Lord, that you love us so much that you speak to us. So, Father, we do pray, Lord, regardless of everything that's going on in our lives and everything that's going on, even at this very moment in our minds, that we would just, we would settle, that our spirits would just settle down, that our hearts would be eager to hear, and, Lord, that every word would be an edifying word to the church, and, Lord, a way of glorifying you forever. We do thank you for everything, Lord, because you have spoken. We love you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. If this would be possible, what we've just experienced in that text is an eternal mic drop, if you will. God stands up and proclaims to all, particularly the Jews and those non-believers and believers alike, that he is putting things back in the proper perspective. Now, if our world ever needed a time to be uh, properly understood, now is the time. Amen. It's a time in our lives, in my life, all about you, my life, I need him. He is so faithful. I don't know what I would do. We're singing those songs this morning. I don't know what I would do if he wasn't faithful. I know I would be lost, I would be broken, and uh, there would be no hope. But listen, perspective is, is, is a very powerful thing, because everybody has perspective. Everybody has a point of view. The challenge is having the proper perspective and the proper point of view. This is what God is saying to the Jews this morning. And to us this morning, if the prophet Isaiah just would have flipped back a couple chapters into chapter 40, we'll find the truth here that God has no equal. There is none beside him. There is no other name. It is him and him alone. The prophet Isaiah said it this way in 40.12. He says, who else, who else? Has held the oceans in your hand. 
Who has measured off the heavens from his finger, with his fingers? Who else knows the weight of the earth or has its weight on the mountains and hills on a scale? No, for all the nations of the world are but a drop in the bucket. They are nothing more than dust on a scale. He picks up the whole earth and through it, it were but a grain of sand. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? The Holy One asks. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another. Because of his great strength and power, not one single one is missing. The Lord is an everlasting God. The creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even the youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Hallelujah. The prophet Isaiah is rebuking the Jewish nation or the leaders, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation. They thought that they were something special because of their external appearance, because of their external behavior, because of the external grandeur of, the, of everything that they placed around them, particularly the temple. You know, they needed a heart check, right? They thought they were something special. They allowed themselves to the, allow the exterior issues of their lives and their, their faith and their, their all in all to be something that is completely external and not internal, this week, uh, I don't know, um, many times when you're in preparation to, to, to talk to a group of people, and, and, and particularly spiritual things, you know, there's a process, and everybody's process is different, but my process, part of the time is meditating upon the text, part of the time is asking God to show you things and, and reveal times in the past and all these other things, so I'm praying that this week, you know, prepping for Isaiah 66, and I show up on a job site this week, and uh, somebody I haven't seen in, like, years and years and years. Uh, she's like, hey, how you doing? How you doing? Hey, what's new, this and that and everything? And I'm like, well, our church is blowing up. We're doing this. We're doing that. We got that. We got this. You know, you know I'm one of the pastors there. And I felt really good about myself. <laughs> you know, we're getting ready to, you know, maybe begin a building project and this and that. And, you know, she's, you know, she's like, well, how many people do you have in your church? So I immediately go write the pre-COVID numbers, right, <laughs> plus some, <laughs> just because I wanted to be, you know, impressive. You know, I wanted to, to, to be, so I walk, I'm done, I, the interaction ends, and I go to do what I'm doing, and in the middle of what I'm doing, the Lord says, you saw that, right? I'm like, yeah, yeah, the thing, 
You know, I could see Jesus on the throne at the right hand of the Father, sitting at the right hand of the Father, doing this, saying, look, watch. Watch Jim this week. Watch, watch what he, this is the guy that's prepping for Isaiah 66. Watch this. And then sure enough, I did the same exact thing. I'm like, Lord, thank you. But Lord, oh my gosh, it's crazy. It's just like in us. You know, it's just like a part of us. You know, the externals. You know, that perspective thing. Do you know, everybody probably here lives in a house of some sort, a shelter of some sort, I would guess. Do you know that if you got in your car and you went and drove around, uh, maybe not as a nice a neighborhood that you live in, after a while you start feeling pretty good about yourself. But on the same token, if you got in your car and you went into a, a high-end neighborhood with the more fancier houses and then bigger houses and all the stuff that goes with it, after a while of driving down that neighborhood, you're going to think and have a perspective of, well, I'm not feeling so good about myself. The problem is with perspective, everybody has one. You have a point of view. The issue is when we place value on external things, it's always in comparison to other external things or other people. You know, the Joneses, they see they, they do this to their house and then the neighbor does that to their house or, or whatever. You know, I've been in, I've been in pastor's uh, gatherings where we're all sitting around a table in a restaurant, and everybody's bragging on their churches. It's like, oh, Lord, help me. When we place ex value on the exterior, we compare it to things that are around us on the exterior. But that doesn't give us a real sense of perspective or a proper perspective. Proper perspective is comparing yourself to God. <laughs> and to have the proper perspective... I, I hope you're hearing God's word this morning that he is large and in charge, right? He has no equal. Um, he is powerful. He is mighty and he is compassionate. He is forgiving. He is empowering. He is overwhelming. He is, he is all-consuming. He is cleansing. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. He is loving. God himself is kind, healing, delivering, restoring, moving, creating, infallible, filling, distinctive, he is comforting, providing, teaching, training. He is purifying. And hear this. He is for you. He is for you. Verse 2b, if you will, in Isaiah reads. Sorry. I, God still speaking here. I will bless those who have a humble and contrite heart. Who tremble at my word. God, the creator, who, who owns all that he's created and everything in it and uses this and is in control of all of it, he himself is for you. God's favor. God's favor is in your life. If you are a believer on Jesus Christ, his favor is for you. What is favor? It has been defined as the divine influence which operates in humans to regenerate and sanctify, to inspire and to impart strength, to endure trials and resist temptations. In one word, grace. God is for you, and because he is for you, his grace abounds in you. Our, when our sins are great, his grace is greater. He loves you. He is for you. And if we ever get the handle on the fact that 
the, the king of all is on your side. It'll change everything. God's supernatural favor flowing in your life will crush anything in its path. There, will, there is nothing that can stand against God and his favor in your life. It does not and it is not conditional upon your social status, your background, your race, any of those external things. What it consists of, it's, it's what God says in his word about you. That's what it is. God's favor, God's supernatural favor flowing in our life is not based on what we think it may be based on. It is based on the word of God. Amen? Listen, if you want favor in your life, sow favor. The Bible teaches us that uh, you, if you go do for someone, then your father will do for you. You show favor in this world, and you will receive favor in this world through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. So, let's look at a life that actually will show this. If you have your Bibles or some copy of Scripture, we're going to be in John 3. This is where we're going to see the actual life action of what, this, what we're talking about here. John 3, contextually, as we get there, we have just passed John 3.16. Jesus has just left Jerusalem, and he had just got done talking to Nicodemus. You know, and you know that John 3.16, the, the passage and all that goes around that. Okay, so now we're right past that in our, in our text. And it picks up John 3.22, I believe we start at. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there, baptizing people. At, the same, at this time, John the Baptist was baptizing on Enon near Salem because there was plenty of water there. And people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew. Over ceremonial cleansing. So John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody's going to him instead of coming to us. John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourself know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at, this, at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are the earth, and we speak of earthly things, but he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts the testimony can affirm that God is true, for he is sent by God, he speaks God's words, and for God gives him the Spirit without limit. The Father loves his Son and has put everything into his hands, and anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone 
who does not obey the Son has eternal, has, <clears throat> will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. John the, ba- John the Baptist. We all know John the Baptist from stories in church all the time. Um, what I wanted to get us to actually like point to or view at are three relationships in this, in this, in this passage. And the very first relationship is between John's disciples and the, the certain Jew or the, the Jewish leaders. Their relationship in our text is, is um, characterized by arguments, is characterized by, you know, you know, judgment, characterized by, you know, expressing how my externals compare to your externals. God's saying, listen, that's not how we roll. What that is, is legalism. If we're looking at the outside and not the inside, then we're just concerned about the law and not the lawgiver. We're concerned about the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. The truth is that Jesus wants us all to understand some very uh, important truths. These, these Jews, this, this, this particular Jew, and he probably had other guys with him, um, this is what Jesus said about this guy, these guys in, math, in Mark or Matthew 23. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious laws, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! For you are so careful to clean the inside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become cleaner. Jesus says, it's not what goes in a man that makes him unclean, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. These guys, why why do we deal with the externals? Why is it so important that the external things um, are in our lives? Because there are two lies that these guys bought into and that the entire human race has bought into. Me, me first. The first lie, can I just share two lies with you that I, I, I assure you uh, are probably the two greatest lies that have ever been spoken? One is that I'm autonomous. The lie of autonomy. The lie that says that I am my own person and I'm going to do with my life what I want. I'm in control. I'm going to do what I want because it's my life. That lie uh, is crazy sexy. That lie is crazy seductive because it's really easy to believe you know, initially, because of the fall in the garden and because of original sin, this is kind of like bred into our DNA, spiritual DNA, until we are regenerated and progressively are, are being changed by the Holy Spirit. Creation depicts ownership. And put it this way. I, I have an idea for a painting. I come up with the concept for the painting. I put the paint on the canvas. I finished the painting, I framed the painting, the painting is mine because I created it. I can sell it to you or I can give it to you, but it's mine to do so because of creation. The same way, since God created us, we belong to him. We are not independent beings and we do not have the natural right to do whatever we want to do when we want it, although it sounds good feels good, uh, but that's not a truth. 
It's not truth at all. You are owned by God himself. The second lie is the lie of self-sufficiency. That says, listen, I got everything I need to do what I want to do. I'm in control. That is a lie. If you think you are in control, you are delusional. We may feel like we're in control until we're not. When everything's going good, we're in control. But when things are out of control, whole different ballgame. Creation, right, depicts dependency. Not only ownership, but dependency. We were created to be dependent on God first, and then each other second. That's why growth groups are so important. That's where we get the dependence on each other part going on in our gatherings. All right? So if you're not in the growth group or you're already meeting in a group, let me know so I can help promote your group. Or if you want to join a group, everything's out in the hall and on the website. Okay, end of commercial. <laughs> I don't get the opportunity to as much. So. Thank you, Lord. Two lies. Don't believe them. You don't have the right to do what you want, and you are not in control. I do not have the right to do what I want, and I am certainly not in control. And I, I understand that. And you know what? Uh, if you don't believe that creation is dependent, or, or life is dependent, just look at a flower, right? If you water the flower and you make sure the flower gets the light, and all of a sudden this flower grows, right? But if you don't want a flower and you don't care to have flowers, that flower is going to wither and die fast, right? Ask my wife. She knows she kills everything living. <laughs> plants, plants, plants. Sorry. She told me this week she's going to start a garden. Lord, help me. Self-sufficiency is crazily is crazy destructive because it resists the Creator's help. It resists the grace of God. Right? It's destructive because we don't allow God in. Even if we don't understand it, the fact is if we just let Him in, things change. Going it on your own simply doesn't work. It doesn't work. Uh, matter of fact, uh, some smart person said a self-made man is one poorly created. And it wasn't until that I actually bowed my knee to Christ and was forgiven of my sins that I actually realized what a mess I was. Before Christ revealed uh, my heart, I thought I had it all together, man. I mean, my dad left when he was six, and he says, okay, now you're the man of the house. And now I, from that point on till the age of 27, it's nothing but trying to build a life and be you know, be productive in, in a way that is. But man, when, when, when I was growing up, men were told to have some pride, right? You, you build pride on the street from where I'm from, and, and, and you know, you build this persona and all this other things, and you think you got it all together, but it is only until when God's Holy Spirit shines on your heart that light, you realize, I'm a mess. I thought, I. Let me just be completely transparent. I thought I feared nothing. I thought I feared no man, no problem, no issue. But when Christ touched my heart, I realized I feared everything. I fe everything I thought I didn't fear was the things that I did fear. I was poorly constructed. 
The second relationship is between, obviously, between John the Baptist and Jesus, right? In our, in our passage. Back there. Thank you, Lord. Look at verse 27. They're saying to John, listen, hey, everybody's going to them. This Jew is telling me we're doing it wrong, and now everybody's going to Jesus. How does this look? John replies, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourself know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way. So I don't know about you, but I am like extremely humbled and blown away over the years that God would even choose to use me on any level. You know, from where he takes us from to where he brings us. I mean, it's like dark to light. You know, it's complete, a complete change, a complete heart conversion, right? So John the Baptist here, he, he's, he's, his relationship with Jesus is characterized by submission and humility. He's saying, listen, I'm not the one, right? People, I mean, we have this, these challenges because of the external, right? Churches have this same challenge, you know? Well, why is everybody going over there or not over here? Or whatever, maybe these points of perspective that need to be properly realigned. Properly realigned so that God can get the glory and that we can be changed by it. John understood that God the Father sent God the Son to sacrifice himself and rescue us when there was no hope. All we have was judgment, death and judgment. But because of what Jesus did, that changes everything. And John understands it. And his, his, his relationship with Jesus at this point is characterized as lordship. You know, he is the Lord. He is submitted to the Lord. And let me tell you, at this point, everything changes. And you could probably testify to the truth because when it happened to you, everything changed. When we trust and obey, trusting and obeying is such a freeing thing. From where, from up north, it's typically more expensive than it is here. I'm sure most people know um, certain areas. And, you know, I started a family very young, very young. And uh, I had to work very hard to just kind of, you know, stay afloat. And all the, you know, the mortgages and the insurances, and you all know the bills that come with adulthood and, and adulting and all that stuff. But when I submitted to Christ and I trust and obeyed him and I left the results to him, I was freed from the weight of having to be the provider. Because if I know if my heart is right and I'm giving generously to, to the work of the Lord and to others who are in need, I know that God is going to take care of me without question. So now I don't have to worry about the mortgage. Now I don't have to worry about the car payment. Not that I'm not responsible for it, but it's not a weight. It's a freeing thing to be submissive to our Lord. The weight of life is heavy, man. But Christ wants to push it right off you. Right off you. And basically the third relationship that I want us to look real quick is the fact that when they're saying to John, right, they're saying, John, man, everybody who, 
you know, is showing love towards us is, is going down the road to, to Jesus. You know, he's going down the road. And he says, listen, they're his. It's the bride for the bridegroom. They belong to him. And this relationship has got to be characterized by intimacy and love, right? So intimate and so loving that it's described in the context of the relationship between a husband and a wife. You see, once we understand the truth that Jesus is in charge, if I want to believe it or not, and I'll confess before you and before everybody listening that I was an atheist, I did not believe in anything but me. And that's a scary thing. But the truth is, I bought into those lies. And the truth is, when Jesus freed me from that, I fell in love with him. I fell in love with him to the point where I know I'm his. And he is mine. And you know that he is yours. And you are his. That changes everything. In other words, I just want to be a part of what God is doing. You know, he says the bridegroom, you know, it, the friend of the bridegroom is, is like super stoked just to be there, just to be a part of what's going on. Matter of fact, I am so joyous that when he succeeds in his success, you know, in the fact that he is who he says he is and he's going to do what he says he's going to do, I rejoice in that because I know he's going to win and I know I'm a part of it. But he loves me, and I love him. And the fact that happens, we want more of him. We want more of him. When we get to the place where we have submitted before him, and we are humbled before him, and we exalt him as our Lord, then, and only then, will we fall in love with him. Because he takes the, the view of the external and puts it on the internal. Today is the day, guys. Today is the day that God wants you to know that he loves you with a love that is so great that we can't even comprehend it on the level, even if we just compare it to he is the creator of all things, and he owns all that he has created. So where are you? I would suggest that these three relationships are the lifespan of a Christian. I would suggest that the, there was a time in your life and a time in my life that was characterized by arguments, strife, you know, argue, you know just those things that are, that are based on the external things of our life. But then there was a time when you found Jesus and then everything changed. When you have submitted to him in, in humility and then your whole life changed. And then... As you see God move within you, as you see the favor of God moving in your life, there's nothing better than falling in love with Jesus over and over again. So where are you? Why is this important? Because the last verse of our text says it is. I didn't make it up. It's right here. Where are you? Verse 35. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone, if anyone who believes in God's son, they will have eternal life. 
But if anyone who doesn't, will not, and will be under judgment, where are you? The Bible tells us that uh, we have all fallen short. There is none of us that are worthy of any of his grace. None of us. My heart was dark, full of sin. And he came and shed his love and light on it and changed that. Not that we're perfect, but we're progressively getting better. God loves you today. You know what? He loves you so much that he desires for your relationship to continue throughout all eternity. Not just here. You know, here, you know, this is, this is temporary. You know? You know what will change your perspective? The loss of family members. We've lost two family members in two weeks. I need the proper perspective. I need to know that the God of the universe is for me. And if he's that big and he gets for me, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. So if you're here today and your life is characterized by strife, and anger, and arguments about the external things, and why this, and why that, and you don't know Jesus, then our text is saying, he wants you to. And for those who know Jesus, he wants you to know that there will always be more of him than we will ever need. There's always going to be more of God to explore and to love than we know now. So if you're in here today and you don't know that, the fact that you've heard these words and if your heart is stirring and you feel something's different going on internally, not the external, but the internal then that's God calling you. That's the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart and saying, hey, hey, you saw that, right? You saw that, right? Jesus, if he was here today and he gave this opportunity, I would be right here. Don't miss it. And you don't need a fancy religious speech or some kind of prayer. The fact that you know that you're a sinner and that you need God's grace, the fact that that's happening spiritually in your heart is God moving. It is God choosing you. It is God putting things in proper perspective. So if that's you today with all eyes open and all heads up, I need Jesus. If you're in here and you need Jesus, just shoot your hand up. We've all been there. We've all been there. Thank you, Lord. I need Jesus. But I, if I don't know Jesus, this is the day. So if you're here and you don't know him and you want to know him, but you just don't know anything about how to do it, or even if it's you understand any of it, we're not supposed to understand it all. We're supposed to understand that God loved you so much that he chose to sacrifice himself for you. While yet I was a sinner. I was a wretch. I was all the things that needed changing. 
but God can do it. God can do it for you. So the shortest prayer in the Bible is save me. In your heart today, if that's you, then you cry out quietly in your soul to him. That's me. That's me. Help my perspective. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you, Lord, that I know that I'm a sinner saved by grace. And Lord, your people have come today to proclaim the truth of your word. And Lord, we all know that we have fallen short of that perfect mark. And Lord, you knew that. And in my sin, you pursued me. And you didn't stop chasing after me until you got me. Lord, I pray that today. Chase us all. Continue to pursue us. Relentlessly pursue us and never stop as we seek your face this morning. We love you, Lord, because you first loved us. And we acknowledge that we need a proper perspective today. For you are God Almighty and you are worthy of it all. And we are here to serve you and love you back because you first did for us. We thank you, Lord. In the continual name of Jesus and all the church said, amen. Amen.